Well, good morning. Thank you, guys. Hey, listen, you all pray with Greg. Um, he leaves tomorrow. He'll come back on the 22nd. Um, so be praying for him during this time. Now, look, you know, we pray, dear people of God, and we trust God, right? But we need to pray in faith. Pray in faith. Don't just, don't just mention it. Pray in faith. Trusting God to do powerful things, to give safety. His, God's plan is, is set, and he will do all that he accomplishes to do through Greg and this trip. So please, please be in prayer for him and be in prayer by faith as well. Well, here we are. We're starting up a atonement series, and, and uh, Kate, I appreciate you reading. Oh, there she is, Kate. Um, yeah, I appreciate you reading this morning. She's in my small group, her and Nick, and, you know, I, I love my small group. We, uh, we get together once in a while, and last night we got together, the guys and the gals, and got, the, the ladies did one thing, the guys did another. The, the ladies were talking about making bombs, so I was like, we're, guys were like, hey, we can get into that. I've got some stumps, and it turned out to be bath bombs. I still don't know what that is. And so as guys, we went through axes, you know, we got really a very passive group, if you uh, know anything about us. We had a great time last night. And as I, as I come here this morning, I was like, man, I was thinking about all the things that went on this week. There were just little, you know, you know, it's not like necessarily the roof falling in, but just one little thing after another, you have a day where you're just not clicking or whatever the case may be. And I just... Reminding me all week long, man, I'm just a mess. Have you ever thought that? You just kind of wake up one day and you're like, a, like, you're just like a mess. And I woke up this morning, got up, got going. And I was like, okay, this is a pretty good day. And I was in the first hour of standing back there. It was on the last song. And I kind of did this and realized, oh, I got a hole in my shirt there. You know, I'm just a mess, you know. So, I've, so I thought, well, I better roll up my wife's here, isn't it? We yeah. <laughs> roll up my sleeves so when I raise my arms, it's not as obvious, you know, kind of a thing. I'm sure Caroline will have a word or two for me after the service as well. But uh, I love this shirt. I'll, I'll, there's a story behind this shirt. Um, uh, I got it from uh, Skip. So every time I put it on, I think of Skip's family. It reminds me of him. So I'm always thankful for him in my life. And so when I found the hall, I was like, oh, now I'm not gonna be able to preach in it anymore, I guess, after today. But today you get to join me in the, in the mess. You know what, you're a mess too. We all are, right? It's the reality. Let us not, let us not put on a facade and come in here and think we got it all together. We're in need. And that's part of what we've been talking about in the atonement. When we talked about the atonement, the, the perfect life of Christ, his work in his sacrificial death in earning us a righteous standing before God, earning us salvation. And it blows me away every time I say those words that the God Almighty from everlasting to everlasting would love me enough and love you enough that he would step forward and do what we couldn't do in the work of his son and call us his own that we might stand in the righteousness of Christ and call him our God and our Father. Amen? He deserves our worship, our total surrender, our complete devotion, our humility and recognition of who he is in all of his glory. He deserves it because of what Jesus done. And that's the atonement. That's what Jesus has done for us. So 
Before we go any further, I know we prayed for Greg, but I just need to take a moment because I'm a mess and need to pray, okay? So let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning and um, I always find myself in these moments, Father, that um, just the absolute and total dependence that we must have in you communicating to us this morning. Now, Father, we have your word. You've written a book for us and we have truth. It's, it's objective truth, Father. We don't need us to confirm it. It is truth in and of itself. And Father, we need it. We need your word. We need to understand the realities of the truth of your word that you've given to us that we might appropriate it in our lives, that we might be enlightened, Father, to walk after Christ. And the power of the atonement and the power of the gospel, that, Father, we would live lives that reflect the realities of who we are in Christ. That, Father, we're not a people wandering about in confusion because the light of your word is shown into our lives. And Father, we believe it and we trust it. We trust you, Father. Our faith is in you. And though everything around us can be crumbling and the reality that we start understanding who we are apart from Jesus and how that begins to crumble around us, we understand, dear God, that through the work of Jesus and the atonement, we stand before you in the righteousness of Christ. And we don't find judgment and wrath anymore. We find grace and we find mercy. We find your love, we find peace. And Father, you sustain us, you keep us, and we simply trust you to do what you said you would do. And so Father, speak to us this morning. Go past all of my shortcomings, my inabilities, my own sins and iniquities, Father. May your spirit be free to move among us this morning. Let us not be comfortable, dear God. Let us not be comfortable in our ignorance, in our lack of studying. Let us not be comfortable in our lack of pursuit. That, Father, as a group of believers here, we are learning how to follow after Christ. So instruct us today, God that we might glorify you in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So <clears throat> we began a couple of weeks ago, we talked about four reasons for the atonement and we looked at the penalty of sin, we deserve death, we looked at the wrath of God, we looked at some very difficult things there that were separated, we're, we're in bondage and we looked at four results and so we have that slide, that's been our outline in this series have four results of the atonement. So we had our introduction, then we, we talked about sacrifice. We deserve to die, but because of Jesus, his sacrifice, we are able to live because of him. We had, we'd seen in centuries over and over where animal after animal after animal was sacrificed. We see the standing of the priest daily in the temple, and then God sends his sacrifice the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and he once and for all accomplishes all that God intended. He accomplishes for us salvation. You know what he does? He sits down because the work is finished. We no more go back. We no more have to do anything to kind of attempt to hope to earn and do anything that we couldn't do. 
We couldn't accomplish any of those. Only God did in his son, Jesus Christ. So we saw the sacrifice of God. Then last week, we looked at the propitiation. When you hear the word propitiation, it's dealing with the wrath of God. And when we think of wrath, many of us think of, you know, this kind of just a let loose, uh, you know, anger, out of anger, fit of anger. That isn't the picture of wrath of God. The picture of the wrath of God is that God is so holy, so righteous, that he and iniquity, he and sin, he and unrighteousness cannot dwell in the same place. We use the illustration of light and darkness. Light and darkness can't dwell in the same place. Light will always overcome darkness. In the same picture, on that illustration, the picture is that God in his holiness, in his righteousness, he cannot dwell in the same place as iniquity, as sin. Because we saw it in uh, chapter one of Romans. The righteousness of God has been revealed again to faith to faith, right? But the wrath of God has been revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. The picture is that as God revealed himself and who he is in his character, that he is a holy God, a righteous God, a just God, and that in that revealing, he explained the gospel. At the same time, he revealed his response for his righteousness, his holiness, response to unrighteousness. And so when he did that, we realized we can't be in the same place. You understand that? We cannot change the holiness of God. God will not change his character for us. And praise God, hallelujah, amen, that he won't. Because otherwise, we're just gonna have a whole bunch of mess that we already see around here. That God elevated, he continued to stay holy and righteous and what he did is he called us to himself in the propitiation of his son that we would not stand and face wrath, but we would rather face mercy and grace. And today we're gonna look at reconciliation. When we're talking about atonement, we're talking about sacrifice, we're talking about propitiation, and today we're gonna talk about reconciliation, that we were separated from God, but now we are brought near. And next week we're gonna look at redemption, that we were bound to sin and death, but God has set us free through the redemption of Christ. So take your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 21, or chapter one, verse 21. Chapter one and verse 21. In verse 21, it says, and you who were once alienated. I wanna stop there for a minute because I want you to understand the context. In the context, it's describing in the previous verses how great Jesus is. In fact, go back to verse 15 of chapter one. You probably have a heading over that verse. It says something like the preeminence of Christ in that section because it's describing the greatness of Christ. Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, which was through its false teachings that were going on within the church, was trying to say that Christ wasn't God. Christ wasn't the son of God that Christ wasn't who he was. He was just the immolation of other God, you know, of God through down, through time, eons and eons. And Paul is saying, no, look at what he says in verse 15, talking about Jesus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, verse 16, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him 
and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, in him all things hold together. Isn't that amazing? Everything is kind of being held together by Jesus. I, man, this, is, this, is, this would be a great passage where we're talking about reconciliation this morning. And look on, look on when he goes on in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Look at the amazing picture of who our God is, who Jesus is. And then he says, and you. <laughs> Anytime you put us up against Jesus, it's, it's going to be a, quite a difference. And he says, and you who once were alienated. And that, that term there, once were, who once were, is past tense. It's, it's Paul's describing this is who you were. This is your past position. This was your past reality. If you are trusting Christ this morning, you receive Christ in your life, you no longer are in that position. And Paul's describing it. He says, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. That's, that's quite, a, quite a statement. Some of you might even be sitting here going, man, I'm, I've never been angry with God or hostile toward God. When you begin to understand the work of reconciliation and who we were before Christ and apart from Christ, you understand the power of the resurrect, of, of, of reconciliation. When you talk about it, it was necessary. Reconciliation was absolutely necessary because the idea of alienated has the idea to be estranged to, to cut off. And the picture is that they were cut off or estranged to God, cut off from the life of God and even life itself. You, you believe that, right? If, if you don't have Jesus this morning, you don't have life. How can I say that? Because what did Jesus say? I am what? The resurrection and the life. I believe that so hard. I know you maybe, maybe you had a great weekend, you had a great trip, you think you're living it up. Maybe you're just, you know, enjoying fishing or hunting or, you know, going on vacations and life is just so great and you're thinking you're living, you're living life. But I'm going to tell you without Jesus, there is no life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the reality is, is that without Jesus, there is no life. So if you're estranged to God, guess what? You don't have life. You say, Greg, I'm breathing and all. I understand that. But I'm telling you, you don't understand what God has for your life. That's why you go your own way. That's why you are estranged to God. That's why you are cut off from God. Because you're going your own way. You're ignoring the, the truth of God, the reality of God, and who he is in your life. I look at the garden. I always, garden is such a big deal to me. When I look at the Garden of Eden, and I know some people would would go, oh, that's a metaphor, that's not real. Well, no, I believe it's real. I believe in the truth of it, in a real garden. When I look in Romans chapter five, what does it tell me? Just as sin entered the world through one man, so now what? Righteousness has entered the world through one man, Jesus Christ. So if Adam is a metaphor, if Adam's not real, then does that mean Jesus is a metaphor or not real? No, he's real. 
Therefore, I go to the garden. And when I look in the garden, I look at chapters one and two of the garden. What do you see? You see righteousness. We were created for righteousness. Did you know that? We were created for righteousness and to be in a righteous relationship with our God. That was his purpose, his intent, that we would, we would tend to the garden and be in right relationship with God. That's a beautiful picture. We see God coming to the garden and he's walking, looking for Adam and Eve, wanting to walk with him. And I so desire to just have that experience. And through Jesus Christ, I can learn to walk with him. But then what do they do? What do they do? We learn in chapter three of Genesis, what happens? They hide themselves. Why? What happened? Why were they hiding themselves? Because they went their own way. They ate of the fruit. It looked good. And they thought God was withholding good from them. So, so they ate of it, thinking they knew more or better than God. And they rebelled against God and sin entered into the world. And so now they are naked and they're, they're cut off. They're estranged from God. And God's calling out to them and they're running away from him. And that's the position that we find ourselves in. That without Christ, apart from him, we're estranged. They were removed from the garden because holiness and unrighteousness cannot dwell in the same spot. That's why we need a redeemer. That's why we need someone to reconcile. And so what happens is that we begin to, to walk in unrighteousness. It tells us in Matthew, I believe it's chapter five, it tells us that, that sin begins in the heart and then it's manifests itself in deeds. And the picture is, is that as we begin to, to walk, when we have this sinful nature, we have this nature that when we sin, we only confirm our fallenness and we only confirm our unrighteousness before God and our need for reconciliation. Just as when we walk after him and we bear fruits of righteousness, it demonstrates our faith. And so here's this picture that Paul is drawing out is that you are hostile. Why? Because God is righteous and holy and we are not. You were alienated, you were cut off. Why? Because unrighteousness and God is a holy God. He's not gonna change. And, and so as we continue to, to live in this sinful nature, we continue to do evil deeds apart from Christ. That's what he says there. And he says, it hostile the mind, doing evil deeds in the spear of evil deeds. In Romans chapter eight, verse seven, it says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God, God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That was the condition. That's what Paul is saying. You once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, because when the mind is set on the flesh, it cannot, set, it cannot obey the laws of God. It cannot obey him. It will not submit himself to God. So apart from Christ, all we know is the sphere of evil deeds. That's the sinful nature that we had. It leads us to attitudes and actions that, are, that before God are evil. It's a, it's a rebellious acts, acts that we do against God and his holy character. Please understand that. I know one of the things, one of the things I did not anticipate, I should have known, but I didn't anticipate that as we talk about atonement that we have to deal with our condition without Christ. We have to. 
And when we begin to understand what God saved us from, we begin to be moved in, in thankfulness and graciousness and we're thankful and humil humble ourselves before God in humility because we begin to understand what God has delivered us from. Jesus didn't come to just give us some example of how to live a better life. Jesus came to do the work of God in the work of atonement as God's sacrifice in order that we may be redeemed, that we might be reconciled, that we might not face the wrath of God, that we might not face the penalty of sin through his sacrifice. And dear people of God, we need to understand that. We don't need to run from it. We don't need to be sitting here going, oh, we're just a bunch of worms. That isn't the idea. The idea is to understand our fallen state and what God has done to bring us out of that fallen state, to reconcile us to himself. Dear people of God, we are thankful to him. It's the power of reconciliation that we're not stuck in that state of, of estrangement. We're not stuck in that state of, of alienated to God. We're not stuck in that state where we're hostile to God anymore because of the work of Christ, because of the work of atonement, because of what God has done in redeeming us, in delivering us, in reconciling us. We need to understand that, that we don't find judgment, that we don't find condemnation anymore, that we don't find these things. We find mercy and grace from a loving and righteous and holy God. Amen is right. And so this is the time. Let me ask this question this morning. I'll probably ask it a couple of times. You'll just have to endure with me today. Let me ask you this question. Have you been reconciled with God? Have you? Have you trusted Christ and placed your trust in him and him alone? Or are you in an estranged relationship with him? Dear people of God, followers of Jesus, we talk about being a group of people learning to follow Jesus together. Are you, are you conducting yourself in such a way that you're estranging yourself through your own iniquity because you blow off sin? We've got to look at our lives because part of learning and, and growing in Christ is understanding who we are and begin to live out who we are in Christ Jesus. And sometimes I think we just go, um, you know, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not really that bad. I mean, I look over there and that person's a lot worse than I am. Can anybody here not say they haven't offended somebody or hurt somebody, word or deed? None of us. Therefore, none of us can stand in judgment of the other. We are in need of his reconciliation we're in need of being restored. It says in Romans chapter three, verses 11 and 12, it says this, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They all turn to their own way. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not even one. If there was a question of whether or not or even the amount of hostility that we have in regards to God, let that verse or those verses clear the air. Because none of us, we pursued our own way. 
I remember when I was in Colorado, <clears throat> um, we uh, it was getting this time of the year and we decided we would scare um, some of the junior high kids that we had in our youth group. I was just out of high school, I believe, if I remember right. And the junior high director asked for our help. And so there was three of us he asked. And so one of them, one of them was kind of one of these makeup guys, you know. And uh, he dressed himself up kind of like as this uh, gravekeeper, you know, where he'd go around and he was telling stories over the graves. And we were up in Denver where I grew up. And so we went up to the Red Rock Cemetery. If you've ever been in Red Rock, beautiful place. But in the evenings, it's really an eerie place. And so he dressed himself up. The other guy, he set him up when he put like blacked out his face and put a hood and put two little red lights and gave a little deal where you could push a button and turn them on every now and then. And so they were going to lead the kids around and, and, you know, tell stories over these graves, you know, you know, mass killers, all that kind of stuff, right? Tell all these stories and there was a light and you get kids to see the light and go, hey, you know, and then, you know, he let go and he was able to move through the tombstones without them figuring it out. And he was just, you know, I mean, such reverence, right? But so then my job was that I was supposed to be the guy uh, that was laying on top of a grave. There was a little railing and they put, um, they put plastic over me and it was lightly snowing. It's not unusual this time of the year in Colorado. They threw leaves and then there was snow. So it looked like, it just looked like a fresh grave. It was what was the intent of what they were doing. And then he comes along and at the, at the right point, he pulls the light over and he says these words and then I come flying out and, you know, junior high kids scattered everywhere. We, we were young, didn't think of those things, right? But I'll never forget laying there in that grave and thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> and the only thing I can think of is all we like sheep have gone astray. Each has gone his own way. And it's so true. It's so true that when we begin to pursue our own ways, we begin to move away from God. And that we seek our own ways. There is no question about our hostility or alienation to God. William Temple said this, the only thing of my very own which I contribute to my redemption is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. Let that sink in. The only thing I bring to this thing, to redemption, is the problem. I don't bring any solutions. I can't do it in and of myself, bring myself to righteousness. The only thing I have is the problem. I have, I have sin. This is why the solution, the finished work of Jesus Christ is such an amazing thing because he fixes the problem and he reconciles us to God. God, in his character, and our, our sin cannot take up the same spot. It cannot. We can say all we want, well, you know, I haven't done as bad as them. I only sinned, if you only sinned once in your whole life, which that's not possible, by the way, in case you think that's true, but if you only sin once in your whole life, it only confirms the reality of your iniquity and the sinful nature within it doesn't matter if you sin less or more, you have rebelled against God. That's why King David in Psalm 51 said, God against you and you alone or you only have I sinned. And if you know much about King David's life, I mean, you think about all the people he hurt, 
over the years and you, and you look across the horizontal aspect of all that he did, but when he looked at it, he said, the problem was I sinned against you, oh God. Why? Because I rebelled against you. I didn't walk after your ways. I ignored you and I did my own thing. That's what made it bad. You and I and our sin are, make us hostile towards God. We rebelled against him. But again, it's past tense. That's what Christ has reconciled us from. It's the finished work of Jesus. If you have received Christ into your life, that is a past position. It's not your current reality if you've received Christ into your life. So I ask you again, like I said, I'm gonna ask you a few times. Have you been reconciled with God? God wants to reconcile with you. Did you know that? God wants reconciliation. That's why he did what he did through his son. That's the good news of salvation. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter one. I am ready. I am ready to come to you and preach the gospel. Because he understood the power of it. He also understood the, the patience and the kindness and the forbearance of our God towards them. That's why he says in Romans chapter two, verse four, do not presume on the riches of his kindness, God's love, his kindness towards us. Do not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance over centuries, animal after animal. He, he forbear, he endured, and patience, referring to the length that he continues to be patient. I've, I think it says in Peter, but I've heard guys even say this, and I remember Sam witnessing to him, Greg, it's been like this since the beginning of time. Jesus isn't coming again. God didn't do this. And I said to him, Sam, don't waste yourself. Do not allow the patience of God towards you. Today be redeemed. Today receive Christ into your life. And that's what Paul's telling him. Do not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness or God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's patience towards you is an opportunity for you to receive God in your life and the work of Christ, the work of atonement in your life. Do not, do not, do not ignore the patience and the kindness and the redemption of our God. Today is the day. Now is the time. Don't wait till tomorrow. It may not come. Today is the time. Do not put off God's kindness towards you. He has done that that you might receive, that you might repent, that you might respond to his kindness and be reconciled with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're here this morning and you haven't done that, today's the day. Don't ignore it. Verse 22, he goes on, he says, in verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is our current position. Because of the reconciliation of Christ, this is our current position. Notice, he has, again, past tense, Christ did it. Have you received Christ into your life? This is past tense, he's already done it. He's the solution. None of us could stand without Christ. He has done the finished work. I love this passages in Romans chapter five, verses six, eight, and 10. I have them on the screen for you. 
Look what he says. For while you were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse eight, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Remember, there is no life outside of Christ. Are you, are you getting it, people? Dear people of God, are you understanding this? That right now, because of what Jesus has done, if you've received Christ in your life, right now you stand in God's presence and you know what he sees? He doesn't see the mess that I am. He sees me in the righteousness of Christ. Hallelujah. Come on, I should get at least one hallelujah back from that. Amen? That we stand in his righteousness. We stand in Christ. If you take in verse 21 and you circle alienated, hostile in mind, and then you go down in verse 22 and you, recon, you, you circle rec, reconciled, and then draw a line between them, in one verse it describes the new reality, the change of reality from the old to the new. You're no longer this old creation, what? Behold, all things have became new. In Christ Jesus. How is he able to do this? Why has he done this? It says in the body of his flesh that he's God's sacrifice. He is the lamb of God because of what he did, because of his propitiation and that he dealt with the wrath and judgment of God on our behalf. That we stand here today in the righteousness of Christ. It's because of what he did. Jesus, fully God, fully man, paying the penalty, dealing with the issues of iniquity that we might know Christ and know salvation and know righteousness. We can't go walk in the garden, but now we walk with him through his eternal spirit. We walk with him through him and we stand before God and we call him Abba Father because he's our God and our Father. Let us not take that lightly. That the God Almighty from everlasting to everlasting who bows to no one, the eternal King, the everlasting God, the most high, the all, all powerful from everlasting to everlasting who, who lays out the universe in the palm of his hand, that God loves you and me. And he sent his son in the demonstration of his love through the work of Christ and the atonement and he calls us his own God, thank you. Praise your holy name. In verse 22, it tells us why he did this. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy, this idea of being set apart. The picture is set apart from the world to God. Set apart unto God. God's desire for us is a righteous relationship with him. And even though we had iniquity in our lives, he addressed it that we might be made in the righteousness of Christ and we call him our father and we would enter into a right relationship with him. Holy, set apart. And sometimes when we talk about these things, we talk about uh, now but not yet. There's different ways of saying that, but it's a picture of now God sees me in the righteousness of Christ that I stand here today before you in the position of God's family and I am dressed in the righteousness of Christ and God sees me in the holiness of Christ. Amen, amen. 
that God would see me that and he would, and he would call me his own. He would have an intimate relationship with me through his son. But it is also not yet that I'm on this path, this, this path of, of growth in holiness, that as I live out my life, as I begin to practice in my life, I begin to practice who I am in Christ as I begin to live out in my life. It's a growth path. We talk about learning to follow Jesus together, that we would continue to learn together to follow him as we put off the old and we put on the new in Christ Jesus. It is, it is if you get this picture, it is really where, where you have the love of God God's almighty, magnificent love, his everlasting love, his love for you and me. And it's where his, the love of God meets the justice of God. That God in his holiness and his righteousness, that he's a holy God. And he's not going to change his character. He's not going to change who he is. But in his righteousness and his holiness, he addresses our sin issue through his son, Jesus Christ. It's where the love of God meets the holiness of our God and he calls us his own that we might be redeemed because of what he's done and he would present us holy and blameless this is the power of the of reconciliation where becoming where we are becoming in our life and practice what we are in Jesus Christ even now verse 23 real quick Verse 23, our hope and our confident expectation. Verse 23, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, it sounds like it's conditional, right? I mean, you read that, you go, oh, okay, it's conditional. There's things I gotta do, but we know that not to be true, even from the context. We know that not to be true from the rest of the scripture. How is it? I, I don't bring anything, but that's not the tone of what Paul is writing here. Warren Rearsby said this, he says, we are not saved by continuing in the faith, but we continue in the faith and prove that we are saved. It's the picture that, it's not the picture that I'm gonna do these things that I might get saved. I'm doing this because of who I am in Jesus, that positionally I am in Christ, in the righteousness of Christ, and I am living out in practice in my life. I'm gonna continue to do that, and in doing that, it demonstrates who I am in Christ. You see the difference? It's not that I do these things that I might have position in God's family. It's the picture of that I do these things because I've been placed in God's family by faith and the righteousness of Christ in my life. Now I begin to live it out in practice in my life. In verse 21, he says, who once were? He's talking past tense. This is what you were. In verse 22, he has. Again, it's talking about what Jesus has done. And then he says here in verse 23, not only if we continue the faith, stable and steadfast, the word stable is like rock or foundation. Steady means kind of firm, steady result, not shifting, as you see in the next phrase. Picture is almost, it's like, it's like Paul saying to these believers at Colossae, I know you're gonna remain. If you continue, I know. Have you ever, and I've had people talk to me at times when I've, been at the end of my rope. Have you ever been, were you talking to someone and they're at the end of the rope? Like, how do I continue on? And you're encouraging them and you're reminding them of who they are in Christ. You're reminding them that what Christ has done and that he's reconciled you. He's reminding them that you're reminding them of the love of God. You're reminding them of what he has done, that he's presenting you blameless before God. Don't go back. Don't continue back. Remain faithful. 
And I'm convinced that you are. It's in that tone in which he's writing, not shifting back and forth, but continuing in faith, demonstrating your faith in the finished work of Jesus. And then he says, probably one of the great phrases of this section, he says, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, that we're the hope of the gospel, that's the atonement. In fact, if you look at almost every letter that Paul writes, he says things like, stay the course of the gospel, steady and be faithful, don't return to that which won't save. Why does he do that in all of his letters? Because so many were twisting the gospel. So many were twisting the truth in those days. And it's just as true today. Just as true today. There are many trying to twist the gospel today. They're adding to the gospel. Even today, they're redefining what the scripture is. They're redefining the character of God. They are changing the meaning and the purpose of the gospel. Let me say this and hear me clearly. No, no, absolutely not. It is the atonement, did you hear me? The atonement, period, what Jesus did in his death and his burial and his resurrection, it is the finished work of Christ. That is the hope of the gospel. Otherwise, there would be no hope. It'd be all in me trying to live a better life. It'd be all in me trying to live some way that God's gonna be happy. We're trying to figure out a way where God's gonna be happy with the way I live on my own. No, no, no. The atonement leads us to understand that God's way is the only way. And that if I'm gonna understand how to live life in this world, in this world of chaos, in this world that is full of dominion of darkness, in this world that we face every day of the week, if I'm gonna understand that, I need to understand that it's Christ and Christ alone and that he is my source where I too will be deceived. We need to understand the reality of what Christ has done. It is the hope of the gospel. It's not me, I had nothing to come to this but the problem of sin and Jesus addressed it. It's the hope of the gospel. In fact, I was trying to, trying to kind of define and look at the hope of the, of the gospel and I got a slide here. It's the confident expectation. In other words, there is an expectation and it's a confidence. It's a confidence that God will do exactly what God said he will do. That we as God's people walking by faith and trust, a confident expectation of a righteous and intimate relationship with God because of the work Jesus has done on our behalf. Now stop and look at the tenses there. I'm not talking about future, I'm talking about right now. Right now, where you're at. Some of you came in today and maybe you were feeling defeated in your walk with God. I'm telling you right now that by faith and by trust that you would have a confident expectation that through what Jesus did in the atonement, you have a righteous relationship with God through Christ. And it's hard to understand. It's so easy to look at the mess, right? It's so easy to look at all the things that I don't do right. It's so easy to look at all of those things. But in Christ right now, the hope of the gospel, there's a competent expectation and a right relationship. That's why David could say, in you and you only, God, have I sinned. As we bring our lives in line with him, this is our new reality. It's our union with Jesus Christ because he is all we need, nothing else. We have been reconciled with God through Jesus, came across this this week, The Hope of Driven Life. <clears throat> it's by Kent Hughes. Look what he 
put here, mind, talking about our mind, feeding on Christ and his word. That as we understand the hope of the gospel, that we begin to feed on him. Listen, we come here weekly, we come once a week, and we just feast on the word, don't we? I mean, we just feast on it. But let me tell you something. If you go home and you only eat once a week, you're not gonna be very healthy. And it's just as true spiritually. Just as you eat and drink to live physically, you need to eat and drink of Christ, his word. You need to be in his word. You need to be understanding his word. You need to be learning his word. You need to be growing in his word, dear people of God. And I don't mean just read a verse and forget about it. I mean learn what the word of God says for your life. A heart focused on God and his love for us, having a heart that pursues God and seeks God. And if you do those two things, you know what? You will follow Christ and the pattern he has given us. It's the atonement, the work of Jesus in his life and sacrificial death in which he has reconciled us to God. Amen? I gotta finish with this question. Have you received him? Have you been reconciled with God? Is your life estranged to God this morning? Are you hostile because you've been going your own way? Today is the day of salvation. You simply by receiving Christ in your life, acknowledging him and thanking him for his redemption, for his sacrifice, for his propitiation, for his reconciliation, you just thanking him for what he has done, that he would make you righteous in his sight through his son, Jesus Christ, and receive him into your life. As we, as we close, I'm gonna pray. We've been having people that have been up here after the service. If there's someone you wanna pray with, you want someone to pray with you, maybe you have questions about something that we talked about today, I encourage you to come up here. They're, they're just gonna be up here on the front today. And you can just come up and just, just pray with them. If you don't want to say anything, you don't have to. They'll put their arm around you and pray with you. Because we believe in a mighty God who's able to change lives, who's able to redeem us. We believe in a God that is able to restore us, to make us like his son. We believe in a God that is able to do above and beyond what we can ever imagine or think if we will step out by faith and believe. Is that right? Let's pray. Father God, just pray this morning that your spirit would have your way among those that are here today, Father. Now, Father, if there's some here this morning who came and Father, they've been estranged, they've been ignoring you, they've been running from you, been leading their own lives, trusting their own ways. And Father, now is the time to hear of your patience and your forbearance and your goodness towards them. May they, Father, not take it lightly and but yet Father, come to repentance, come to receive you in their lives, simply by faith. They would just acknowledge you, Father. They would acknowledge the work of Jesus and salvation, the forgiveness of sins. They would acknowledge you, Father, in their lives and humble themselves before you. Father, I pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ, the people of God, those, Father, who are in the, in the body of Christ here. Maybe they've been living an estranged life to you, Father. They've been, they know, they've been going after their own ways, their own purposes, their own plans. And Father, even, in, the, even in, in their spirit, they know, Lord, they've been ignoring you and avoiding you. May today be the day that they stop.
May today be the day that they understand the power of reconciliation and how deeply you desire to be reconciled to us, to be in a right relationship, to be in a righteous relationship with us through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, just do as you please with us as your people. May your spirit have his way. In Jesus' name, amen.